And everyone else, take your Bible, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you've got it, maybe you, as you walked in, you were able to get one of these uh, cards here, these uh, half-sheet memory verse. This is our theme verse for our series that we're going to be in probably till the beginning of next year, maybe, maybe into March. We're going to be in the book of First Peter. And we have a theme verse for this series, Identity Matters. Ooh, and let me tell you, if there is not a verse that truly hits the sense of identity, listen to this. First Peter chapter 2 will be there in several weeks. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. We want you to carry this with you. Take time uh, through, these next, through this next half year, these next few months. Read the book of 1 Peter. I challenge you every week. It's five chapters. It's easy. But saturate yourself with this theme verse Don't you see the identity God's trying to shower his people with? Trying to give my people uh, a clear understanding of who they are. And the identity goes beyond just one. There's multiple implications of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. And we continue that journey today and identity matters. 1 Peter chapter 1 if you would. And as you're turning there, let me ask you this question. What What would make you give up on your faith? What could you go through that would make you deny Jesus and stop believing and leave him? Maybe some of you are like, that's not a fair question. So, so let me ask you this. Is there anything in your life that you could go through, a scenario in your life that you think would make you give up on Jesus? Now, I know we're thinking of scenarios that we absolutely would not want to go through, but hopefully if I'm asking, as I'm asking that, what's going through your heart is this. I don't presume... Uh, or assume that I would be able to go through anything in my own strength because I'm weak and I'm afraid that being pushed through some type of suffering that I would dishonor my Savior, Jesus Christ. It is only with God begging him for his help to keep me in his name that I would go through anything. If there's something clearly that you can think of, yeah, if God made me go through this, I'm done with him. That's not a good sign. Because as we're going to see today, the faith that you have, your belief in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he is the Savior, that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, your faith is the most precious thing that you have. Peter is even going to show it's more precious than gold. The most valuable thing you could think of in the world's eyes, it is more valuable and more precious. And if you're going to lose anything or give up on anything, giving up your faith would be the most tragic thing ever. And so today we're going to talk about Two things, joy 
and pain. Joy and pain. We like one of those. We don't like the other. In life, you will experience both. And I would even go as far to say this. Without Jesus, you will only experience one. With Jesus, you will experience both. If you would, read verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1 of Peter with me. I'm going to have it on the screen. This is in the middle of our passage, but this, these two verses connect the beginning and the end. And we're going to start here, and we're going to see what Peter's doing. Verse 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 1. Peter says this, In this you rejoice, comma, though now for a little while, comma, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he says this, in this you rejoice. What is he referring to? Well, he's not referring to what he's saying after that. He's referring to what he said in the previous verses, verses 3 through 5, where we're going to start. So he's going to begin today and remind them of what they are currently rejoicing in. He's going to remind them of the best news ever. He's going to remind them of where their eyes are looking and what they have awaiting for them. And in this you rejoice. But then he brings it into the present in two ways. Presently, you are rejoicing in something. But let me also remind you, now you are also experiencing something else. Right now you are being grieved. Who wants that? You are being grieved by what? Various trials, all types of different scenarios that come up into life. And then he gives a purpose. Why in the world would you go through trials? There's a great purpose to it. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. How much money were you willing to pay for God to give you right now the ultimate guarantee that you're a genuine believer whose faith is real and you will see Jesus? I mean, how often do we doubt that we're really his? How many people have had restless nights contemplating their sins and their mistakes and their failures and wondered if they truly are a believer? And all we have are the promises of God to rest on. That's all we have. It's not the only thing we have. And guess what? You can't buy your assurance. You know what God gives you as assurance? He says, you know, if you want something right now, right here and now on planet earth, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to wonder anymore. Besides just your own affirming yourself, if you want anything right now that will assure you, you are mine. It's this. I'm going to let you go through the fire in life. And let's see what you do when the fire presses in on you and life gets hard. What do you do with your faith? Does it deteriorate? Do you begin running from God or do you press closer into him? God is giving you in your pain a great clarity of you belonging to him. So here's what we're going to do as we go through this. These Christians in 1 Peter are our example. Oh, these beautiful Christians who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, in the dispersion, 
on the outskirts of Rome in 64 AD, the same year when Nero is going to persecute Christians uh, at the beginning of a 300-year persecution that's unlike anything we can relate to. These Christians are our examples. So we look today at Christians who had genuine faith and then we apply it to ourselves now thousands of years later. God leaving us the, the letter of 1 Peter Peter himself wrote to these Christians to encourage them, but also to be an example to us to keep going, to be the Christian that will live in what you're supposed to live in, and that's joy and grief. You know, you can feel both at the same time, and it may not make sense, but as a believer, you can and you do. I'm going to venture here right now by show of hands how many of you can say you've had a time in your life where it didn't make sense? You were, you were filled with tears. Life was painful, but you can't explain it. Your hands raised in praise. Look around. The world would look at people and say they're foolish to ever find any type of joy or happiness in the pain of life. But we serve a great God who gives purpose to our pain. And who redeems everything that we go through. So how, I want to show you today through the example of these Christians. How the joy and pain of being an elect exile proves genuine faith. We had that identity identity given last week. An elect exile. Chosen by God. God's people. But here on planet earth, you're in exile. See yourself as a stranger and a sojourner and a pilgrim who is going through earth and this is not your home. And for the rest of your life as a Christian, now you are away from home, being grieved by whatever length of time God has numbered your days to. How the joy and pain of being in exile proves genuine faith. Look at this first one as an example of these believers. They were on earth, not at home. They were on earth, yet they joyfully anticipated their heavenly home. So their time on earth was filled with a joyful anticipation. Look at verse 3. Peter says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Keep reading. In this you rejoice. Peter, in writing a letter to Christians who he'd probably never met, knowing what they were currently going through. I mean, let me talk to you a little bit about what these Christians were going through. Uh, First of all, being chased out of their homes, whatever they called home on planet Earth, most of them were chased and were having to hide. Some of them had already been killed. Uh, Some of them were being thrown into prison. And this is all for following Jesus. Some of them were being used as a spectator sport and being thrown in the Colosseum and fed to lions for being Christians while the uh, world around them got to watch in entertainment as they were ripped apart. And in this year, 64 AD, is when the fires of Rome would happen and Nero would blame the Christians for it and persecution would only get worse. So how inspired and appropriate for Peter to write a letter for Christians that would help them keep going. I mean, I shiver 
Think about this. I shiver to think that you and I are reading the words that probably would have been reverberating through their mind as they were facing death. These words that Peter wrote to them to encourage them, to keep them strong in the midst of the fire. Probably many of them actually quoting this as they were about to be burned alive or as they saw the gates of the lions starting to open up to them. Some of them even impelled with poles and set up as, as, as lampposts for fire for the parties of the uh, officials in that day. Probably what's going through their mind is they're about to face death. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is unfading, imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for me, who by God's power are being guarded through faith or salvation, ready to be revealed. God, I'm ready to see it. And here we are reading these words that I imagine would have brought people through the fire. Hebrews calls these types of Christians in the past the type of people the world was not worthy of in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, one of the proofs of genuine faith is that, yes, they were on earth, but earth was not their home. They didn't find their joy on earth. They had a constant, joyful anticipation of their heavenly home. So naturally, I think when I... When I think about my time on earth and I say I'm a Christian, it's the most joyful anticipation of my heart. What is to come? Or is it something that's right two feet in front of my face? I desperately want. And all of my joy, all of my purpose, everything I could ever want is wrapped up in what I can see. It's temporal. And I'll give everything for it. And when I don't get it, these Christians on earth joyfully anticipated their heaven home. Now let's get into the good stuff here. Peter right off the bat, reminding them, wasting no time to remind them who they are and wasting no time to show them what he sees in them. I see you're rejoicing in this now. Here's what you're rejoicing in. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Proving God the Father is a Christian. It is the true God of the universe is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The creator of the universe is the Christian God. And he says this, according to his great mercy, according to the mercy of the Father, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have to unpack this. According to the great mercy of God. That is God looking down on people who are broken and in misery and being moved with compassion. If it was not but for the great mercy of God, all of us would still be lost damned and on our way to hell because that's what we deserve because humans rebelled against a holy God and it chose to go their own way and they choose to run straight into separation which is hell to be separated from God is not good so the furthest you can get away from the God is the closest you can get away to the most horrible amount of torturous pain but God in his great mercy looks down on pitiful miserable people and is moved with compassion. And according to his great mercy. Giving us what we do not deserve. Was moved to do something inside of us that we could not do. Now look what he says here about your salvation. 
He has caused us to be born again. I mean, if it not but for the power of God, nothing else would cause me to be born again. But the dead soul that is unable to commune with God, that's unable to seek God, that's, that's unable to say no to my sin, would not have been awakened and quickened but by the power of God and his choosing and his great mercy caused us to be born again. And I wonder if Peter is thinking about Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night, a teacher of the law, uh, uh, trying to quiz him, but also trying to help him understand the ways of the kingdom. Jesus saying to Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God or see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Oh, how can this be? How can you go back into your mother's womb, right? Thinking purely on a physical level, but Jesus using the physical thing of being born to help us understand the spiritual reality being born again which means i need to be made new and then jesus is real jesus realized this is something that has to happen to you it's not something you make happen it's something that has to happen to you and he gives the example of the wind the wind you don't know where it goes but it comes and it goes and it does as it pleases the spirit of god moves inside people and causes them to be born again but this doesn't just happen randomly you through the great mercy of God, he caused you to be born again, but through what? Well, first of all, to what? You were born again. You were waking. Your eyes woke up and you could see and you were alive. And what is it you're looking at? A living hope. Born again to a living hope. Who is our living hope, church? Jesus. Thank you, Lucy. Who is our living hope? Jesus Christ who is alive and at the right hand of the Father, who is coming soon. And he ever lives to intercede for us. Our living hope. We do not have a wishful hope. Do you know the difference? There's a difference. Oh, I, I hope this is true. No, you are awakened and made alive to a living hope, which means no matter what's happening around you, above it is a alive not dead, sure, it's happened, it's there. At the right hand of the Father is a Messiah and a Savior who ever lives. And it will never be not true that you will be saved because he ever lives. Caused you to be born again to a living hope. How? Through, he says. What? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul was also the guy who said, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, we are of, us, of all people most to be pitied. Christians on planet earth are the most miserable people if Jesus has not been risen from the dead because we're following something that's not alive, that's not real. It's just the figment of our imagination and we just choose to believe it because we want it to be true. No. In fact, Paul says, he has been risen from the dead. And so since he has, every other belief, every other religion, every other thing that anyone ever tried to say has no substantiated evidence or empirical anything to prove that what they say is true, this is the one true living God because he came to earth from God and he proved it. Not only just through his miracles and through his love and his perfect life, but he gave his life in a sacrificial way that none of us can understand to, to show us a love that goes beyond earth. And then he rose from the dead to prove that everything he did and he said was true. And now historians today still trying to make sense of it because all the evidence points to it. The very fact they even have to continue to argue about it should be good news to you. You are born again 
because of the great mercy of God. And you're not born again to nothing, to a living hope. It's there. It is always there. He is always there. But this is possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the power being on display. And that same resurrection is going to come to you. He being the first fruits, as an example of the same way we would be risen, we can anticipate joyfully the same thing. But, but it gets even better. It keeps going. Not only to a living hope, but there's something else that you've been born again to that's waiting on you, that you already possess. These Christians already possess. I have to put it if, if you are a genuine believer because your faith is genuine. Verse four, to an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Inheritance is a big deal. I think, I think we understand inheritance from our understanding of it, of someone's leaving us a wealth, someone's leaving something behind that once they die goes to us. But in the same way, you have to think about it in that way, but also think about it from a Jewish perspective, from an Old Testament perspective. When the people were going into the land, the promised land of Canaan, all of the tribes, which re- the tribes, the 12 tribes represented all the people all were given an inheritance and they get to see the, the lines of their plots allotted to them. And they were going to inherit pieces of land because what did the land represent? It represented where you're going to live, your home. How exciting that to be like, hey, this is where I belong. This is my place. I have land. I have a home, a place to call home. And so Jesus Christ dies, doesn't stay dead, rises. And he gives his people an inheritance You have an inheritance, something you are going to inherit. It belongs to you. You have not received it yet, though. Death is what brings the inheritance in. But what about this inheritance? Now you have to compare this inheritance to any inheritance you could experience on earth. Here's where it stands out above and beyond the inheritances on earth. It is this. This this inheritance is imperishable, which means it is eternal. It will never go away. It's not something that you get to enjoy temporally. It is a forever inheritance. But it's also this, undefiled. I wonder if Peter's thinking about Jesus talking about uh, setting up treasures in heaven where God is, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You have an inheritance that is imperishable. It's forever eternal. It is undefiled. It is not stained by the brokenness of this life. It's not imperfect. It is pure It is wonderful. It is perfect. It will not rust or decay. Then he says this, unfading. You're like, well, that's the same thing as imperishable. Oh, no, it's not. I'll tell you this. You can inherit anything here on planet Earth. You will grow bored of it. Just give it time. Just give it time. You'll grow bored. It'll fade. it'll, It'll not be able to sustain the joy of your life because you'll get it. You'll get used to it. The infection of sin will create a sense of routine and monotony and boredom. And then you will want for something else and more insatiable is the experience as a human on planet earth when it comes to getting things. But we're talking about inheritance that is infinite, imperishable, an inheritance that is undefiled. It is not broken, will not rust or decay. And we're talking about an inheritance that is unfading. You will never stop marveling at what is yours. Billions of years will go by and you will still feel the enamored sense of receiving it as you did the first day, if not more. 
Can't even comprehend it because nothing on earth is like that. That's right, because our heavenly home is our home, not earth, which means we're going to someplace different. So we should expect the experience to be different. And we believe that different is way better than here. Look what he says this. The inheritance that is yours, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, comma, look what he says next, kept, kept in heaven for who? For you. Now remember, Peter is saying this to Christians he haven't met who are suffering. It's so important for them to hear this because what he's doing, he's taking their eyes off their circumstance and reminding them of what awaits them, but also recognizing and observing that they are rejoicing in this. This is a good sign for these believers that their faith is genuine. Kept in heaven for you. It's there. It's safe and secure. And it's kept there waiting for you. But look what he says this. But what could I lose it? What if it could it get, if somehow it could like be mine at one point and then no longer be mine? No. Five. Who by God's power. Who by God's power. Are being guarded. Through faith. For a, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see the anticipation, it's there, it's already secure and it's waiting and it's ready and it's like there's something waiting on you. It's just a matter of time you're gonna experience it but, but it is God's power that caused you to be born again. It is God's inheritance that he's given you, the inheritance of his son and an eternal, undefiled, unfading inheritance and it is being, and who, you, who's being guarded? You are being guarded not the inheritance, you are being guarded by God, who through God's power are being guarded. But there's a little thing right there in the middle we have to remember. Through what? Faith. You you see, you have this, this beautiful picture of everything that God has done, God is doing, and God will do for you, and none of it is of your own doing. It is all the work of God. You cannot boast You didn't work for it, didn't deserve it. None of us are owed it. He's given it out of his great mercy. That alone should cause us to marvel. But the one thing he does require of man is not a work. When people ask, what are the work of God? What's the work of heaven that we must be doing? Jesus said, believe on the one whom he sent. The message that he has propelled into the world is this is available and belongs to all of those who call Jesus Lord and Savior. Do you call Jesus Lord and Savior? Not just with your mouth. Do you profess it with your mouth? Yes. But do you genuinely believe he is your Lord and Savior? You believe he rose from the dead. You believe the gospel. If so, we're talking about you. God's talking about you. An inheritance kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. Let me bring you back to the original question I asked. Is there anything that could cause you to give up on your faith? If God left it up to us, yes. God, if you make me have to stay with you and believe in you through all of the storms and you tell me to do it in my own strength, yes, we will give up. Peter did. Judas did. Judas was the son of perdition, took matters in his own hands, and instead of running into the hands of the father... He took his own life. Peter, there on the other hand, was redeemed and restored and forgiven. 
Though he denied his Savior as the lacked act before he died, going away weeping bitterly. Left up to us, we will. (laughs) But thanks be to God, we are being guarded. Our souls are being guarded by God's power through faith, though. So what do we do with people who once believed and then now they don't? Well, the Bible teaches us that when someone for a time says they're a Christian, but as the pain and the storms of life come in and they put that person to the test, they reveal who that person really is. Oh, they said they were, they were deceived and thought they were, but when put to the test, they're not. John says this, there were those who were with us, but they were not of us. So no identity. They never had it, never had this inheritance. They were not of us because they did not continue with us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. And then John says, so that it might be plain to all that they were not of us, they did not continue with us. Right? Life is the assurance. Which is why we have to really take a time to have closet time with prayer and look at our life, our whole life as the crucible, as the test. Like Joseph going, experiencing all types of horrible things yet being used mightily for God in a salvific way. You come to your life and the testing and everything that you're going through. Are you running from God or running to him? What's the trajectory? Like those in the wilderness, in the book of Exodus, God put them in a 40-year journey. 40 years kind of represents life, right? A 40-year journey to see, do they really believe? Am I really their God? And do you know what they proved at the end of that? That that they were not. And so they perished in the wilderness. And so the book of Hebrews then comes along and tells us, beware lest any of you, like those in the wilderness, fail to enter the rest of God because of what? An unbelieving heart. An evil, unbelieving heart. So he comes here and he says, you're, you're being guarded through faith. Your faith that remains through fire is what proves that your faith is genuine. When you can go through something tragic and lose someone you love, but yet your hands raise and you praise the Lord and the storms of life come in, but you still love God through all of your weakness and your struggling and your snotty crying nights and your brokenness and the things you say, you probably didn't meet in the moment, the things that you want to do in the moments where you struggle, but yet you're still holding on and not giving up and God is your God and you love him and you don't doubt him and you're going through the storms of life with him. Oh, what a beautiful gift that God has given you. To show like you are truly mine. I'm giving you something. Your faith is genuine. So now we come to verse 6. And we see that these Christians. Yes they were on earth. Yet joyfully anticipated their heavenly home. They also were in pain. Yet faithfully endured their earthly grief. In pain. Yet faithfully endured their earthly grief. Verse six, he says, in this you rejoice, right? Blessed be the God, all this great stuff. In this you rejoice, but then he brings it home. Also, though now, for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. They faithfully endured their earthly Grief. What does he say here about trials, though? Look at the perspective he's giving them. What does he say about trials? What does he say about time on earth, being an elect exile, and the hardships that come along? What does he say about it? He says, though now, present, if need be, necessary. If necessary. 
necessary? Let's come back to that. You have been grieved by various trials, but he also says this, for a little while. So your trials are temporary, momentary. Paul was the guy who said this light, momentary affliction. Well, you could be thinking he's being insensitive to call what we experience on earth light as if it doesn't really hurt. But what Paul is doing is he's comparing any affliction he experiences on earth with the joy of what he's going to receive. And in comparison, it's light. It's momentary. This light, momentary affliction is working for us a greater glory. Which is what Peter says here is happening as you stand the test. It's going to result in glory and honor and praise. Though now for a little while, presently for a little while, it is necessary. Maybe you struggle when you hear that. What you're telling me, the pain in life is necessary. How could a loving God make me experience pain in life and that be necessary? Well, multiple reasons. Let me just ask you this. Was it necessary for Jesus to suffer? When Jesus let this cup pass from me, is there any way it could pass from him and it not result in what you and I now rejoice in? Is your pain able actually to help others? Absolutely. Did the pain that was necessary for Jesus to go through in his obedience to what the Father had called him to do and go through result in anything lasting? Absolutely. The salvation of your souls, the inheritance that's awaiting for you, being able to be born again. And now here you are. God's given you your life. And it's got a time, it's momentary, temporary, but there are necessary things you must go through. And that necessity comes in the form of growth, it will grow you, because he said it's tested by fire. And in order to have a pure gold, it has to go through the fire, and it has to be separated for all the impurities. So the only way you're going to grow is through the trial. Are you letting the fires in your life grow you? Are you going through the fire with God? Or are you doing everything in your power just to try to get out of the fire? And if getting out of the fire is what must happen in order for God to be good in your life, you are already losing. Because some fires remain till the day we die. Some fires we have no guarantee of where they're going to end. Some pain that you're in Nile, you have no guarantee that you will be done this side of heaven with that pain. What are you going to do? Is an option give up on Jesus? Are you like the people in the wilderness who are putting God to the test? God, do you really love us? Always never able to come to a place of genuine faith where you just know God's good and he's with you and nothing could ever come between you and your faith in God? Or is there always that wavering of if he's good or if he's not? You're on the fence. You're lost. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Those in the wilderness perished and they became examples to us, the scripture says, so we would not follow in their steps. It's all about faith. You press into faith with God 100% and you trust his promises. You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to avoid pain. You don't have to have all the answers, but all that you do have is Jesus. And if you let go of him, there's nothing else to hold on to. These Christians... Experience pain that you and I can't relate to. Fear of death in a way that we cannot relate to. Yet they endured that grief on earth. Beautifully. Beautifully.
And you have Peter here writing to them. Basically, in a way, saying, I, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I see what you're going through. Let me tell you, let me tell you a little bit about yourselves. You imagine that elevating their spirits? Because what would you be thinking if you experienced some of these things as a Christian? God doesn't love me. He's abandoned me. Look at what I'm going through. He must not care. I must not be the people of God because it's not equaling money or success or peace or all of these things that we think equals God's favor. They do not. What's going to come along and lift your spirits and to keep the enemy and the accuser from keeping you down in the pit and speaking lies about your identity and who you are? It's going to be God coming along and saying, I see you, child. I see you. I've seen you before, before the world began, before you were born. I knew you. You were chosen. You're an elect exile according to the foreknowledge of me. I've loved you before you even knew it. And I'm with you. And guess what? What you're going through, the book of First Peter is going to say, nothing strange is happening to you. You're following the path of my son, Jesus. I've left you here on earth for time because I want you to impact the world like he did. Like he did. And it's going to require pain. We're told through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. And if you cannot accept that, if you cannot get to the place where you're able to say, God, I'm willing to walk through the fire with you. And if your Christianity or your gospel has to not involve pain, I, you are on a very dangerous path of leaving God. Let me give you perspective. You follow, you leave Jesus, guess what you're going to walk into in life? Pain. You cannot avoid it. But guess what you won't have? Living hope. The Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. God is with you through it all. They were in pain, yet faithfully endured their earthly grief. Verse 7 He says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may result to, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose praise, glory, and honor? This is interesting. In the context, if you look at the way the sentence is flowing, whose praise, honor, and glory is this resulting in? Initially off the surface, you would think, oh, Jesus's. And what Peter is saying is like, this is your praise, honor, and glory. And glory. Your faith is going to be praiseworthy. It's going to be worthy of honor. You're going to share in the same glory as Jesus. You are not Jesus. He is Lord and Savior. But what is awaiting for you for those who endure is a well done, good and faithful servant. It's you seeing the face of your Savior pleased and loving and absolutely understanding everything you went through for him. And he saw it all. And you're going to receive the glory, honor and praise of all of that. And I think we cannot comprehend what that's going to be like and feel like. You know, maybe the closest we can get is when like, you know, we win, uh, we, we run a race and everyone's there cheering us on. You know, there's, there's something honorable about that, that someone put in the work and went through hard endurance to complete something. There's, there's joy and rejoicing and honor and glory in that. Keep going. Be like these Christians, joyfully anticipating your heavenly home and faithfully enduring your earthly grief. Amen. But look what Peter says next. This one, this one is huge. And I want, to, I want us to make sure we don't miss here. We're, good, we're concluding with this. We're wrapping up. They were not witnesses of certain things, yet they still displayed beautiful faith. Verse 8, Peter says this. And I want you to imagine, Peter's not just, he's not just writing a letter and all of these words are just like robotic Hear the voice of Peter, and I can't help but to hear Peter writing verse 8 and 9 like this. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's talking about those who were not eyewitnesses. Look back at verse one. How did Peter introduce himself? Peter, an eyewitness, an apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what he's calling them? They were not eyewitnesses. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. What do you think about these Christians who are enduring in a miraculous way, yet they didn't get the privilege of getting to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and touch Jesus and see him resurrected? All they have is faith. What do you think is going through the apostle's mind? I think it's wonder and awe. And he's remembering what Jesus said to Thomas who doubted, blessed, blessed are those who believe and do not see. That is you, brothers and sisters. That's us. I imagine Peter looking at us like, wow, you, I, you don't see him. You never have. Yet inside of you is filled with an affection that is inexpressible. You want genuineness and an assurance of faith? There it is, brothers and sisters. Do not doubt that what you're going through has removed you from the love of God. You're going through that, yet you still love him, believe in him, and rejoice in him. Beautiful. Though you have not seen him, you love him. I think our faith, genuine faith, comes down to where our affection is. What do you love? Who do you love? When you think of Jesus, is there love there? And then look what he says. Though you do not now, and it's the same type of language used as in, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Though now you do not see him. It's like he's saying, you haven't seen him and you love him. And now in what you're going through, he hasn't appeared and shown himself. He's not here, yet you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You cannot quantify and explain scientifically why someone would go through what they went through, especially these Christians, and yet continue to believe in Jesus and rejoice with joy. It is inexpressible. The only thing you can conclude is that these people genuinely have the spirit of God that's bubbling up in them, as Jesus said to the woman of well, into a a well of everlasting flowing water, rivers of life, water flowing out of their soul. And many of you earlier raised your hand when you said you know how life feels in the middle of pain the rivers of water flowing from your soul in joy inexpressibly do you doubt your salvation God's trying to give you assurance by giving you trials actually letting you go through the testing in the crucible how are you going through it are you passing the test anybody here close to giving up don't Stay the course. Where else are you going to go? You're going to give up and you're going to run into pain and life's still going to be painful. And you'll have no hope. They were not eyewitnesses, yet they loved their Savior. Yet believed in their Savior and expressed inexpressibly rejoiced in their Savior. Is that you? These examples of Christians, can you relate? Verse 9, in conclusion, here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake, but also here's what's awaiting. Here it culminates in what he's saying here. He said, you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Maybe, maybe 
Because I believe this happens all the time. Life just gets so busy. I think of Donna saying many Christians living without hope. Not that they don't have it, but they've forgotten it. White knuckling it through life, right? Maybe missing the purpose of the trial. Missing the whole point of anything they would even struggle through. You keep going because what's at stake is your soul. What's at stake is other people's souls. It's not worth keeping that sin hidden. The truth will set you free, brother, sister. Let it out. Stop avoiding and isolating from the body. Come in. Life is not a game to play with. You're not promised tomorrow. Keep going. Run the race like Paul and join your brothers and sisters, Peter wrote to, who heard at the, at the moment their life was sucked from their body. Well done, good and faithful servant. Our life means something because we are someone, elect exiles, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession who have been left here on planet earth to make a difference with the gospel. And oh, your life will. You don't have to see it. You just follow him, trust him, you love him, you keep your affections on him. You lean on him in your darkest moments. You stay together as brothers and sisters and pass every single test that comes your way. Not so you can be saved, but so you can have the clarity and assurance of heart that your faith is genuine. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so I'll leave with this reminder. Remember, Jesus talked about four different types of soils. One was obviously not a believer, not a Christian. They weren't saved because they were the seed as the word was thrown out, the seed that fell on the path and the birds came along and ate it, Satan snatching it away. So some people hear the gospel and immediately reject it. But then you have three other soils. And this seems to be the implication of, of the goats and the sheeps of, of God's people who walk and call him by name. But then which soil are you? Are you actually a good tree? Is your faith genuine? Jesus gives us a pretty good picture into what happens. You have one soil where the rocks and the sun is beating down and the word comes and the seed initially takes root and there's joy. There's belief and faith and joy for a little while. But the roots aren't deep and the sun scorches that plant because the, there's, there's rocks all around and the roots can't go deep because of the rocks and the sun. And, and Jesus says that that plant dies. And then he correlates it to a type of person. It's a person who cannot handle the tribulation of life. The circumstances come and they get scorched by the sun. Their roots are not deep into the truth and promises of God's word. And they end up giving up and leaving Jesus. Proving they were never born again. They were just close and deceived by their initial agreement. Then there's another type of soil. There, there's the type that, that has thorns that sprout up around the plant and choke it to death. And that's the type of person who is too, too much in love with this life. They see all the things in life, all the cares of the world, and they would rather have the world. And so over time, as the cares and the desires and the passions of the world play in, they basically leave Jesus because they'd rather have the world. And there's only one soil that was genuine. It was the soil where the seeds fell and the roots went deep. And despite sun, despite scorching, despite temperature, despite any circumstance, the plant continued to grow and bear fruit. And that fruit is the fruit of faith. So no matter what happens, I'm with Jesus. No matter what happens to my body, it's like Job saying, though he slay me, 
yet will I worship. God writes all of this because he's trying to give us clarity and assurance now of who we are. You continue in pure faith apart from works with your Savior. Do not give up. He will never leave you or forsake you. Let's pray. Father, you are good, better than we deserve and better than we know. Would you now in this moment for all of us, like Peter, strengthen the heart of these believers? Would you give us the perspective? Maybe our our neck muscles are so weak we can't even lift our eyes to look at you. Would you reach down your hand, lift up our head, so we would see what is awaiting us. So we'd get our mind off of earth. We put it back on Jesus. You'd help us to see you clearly. And God, by your power, you would guard our hearts through faith. Bring us to the salvation and the inheritance that's waiting on us. We need you now, Father, we pray. Amen.